Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Hello, everybody. My name's Jerika Duncan. I'm a CBS News correspondent here in New York. And we're going to talk about Black Twitter. Our lovely social media team at CBS has helped to set this up. Um, but more importantly, we're going to bring in the one, the only, Roy Wood Jr., everybody. Yes, that's me clapping for myself. I heard you clapping Yes, there we me. go. Why do you there stop yourself you from clapping that? for me? <laughs> you know, you got to have the sound effects. <laughs> or did you snap your fingers like a poet? Oh, yes. <laughs> Let me do the, the... There you go. It's very black Twitter of me. Um, thank you for joining us. I know you're very busy, uh, but we want to make sure that we're promoting this in a way where people will tune in. Um, black Twitter, as you know, has been around for some time. Uh, I have learned a lot in doing this this report and also realized how uh, uncool maybe I was when I first heard these words because you definitely clowned me in this documentary for not knowing exactly <laughs> what Black Twitter is. But that's the beauty in it because a lot of people have asked that question um, but had a general understanding. So without further ado, Roy Wood Jr., tell us what you remember the first time you heard Black Twitter because we're going to talk about this in documentary on CBS uh, it was, I was still doing morning radio. I started doing mornings in Birmingham, uh, in 01. Twitter came, I think, 06, maybe 07-ish. And so in that time, like, I really was trying to find a place where a lot of Black conversations were happening. Because prior mm-hmm. to that, for me, you know, you had MySpace and you could argue on people's MySpace walls and Facebook. But you have to know somebody that knew somebody to even be able to track a conversation where Twitter is literally just just an open air conversation market. Mm-hmm. So this idea that there were conversations specific to the black diaspora, just things that we get, things that we talk about. Um, for me, it started around a lot of different hashtags that at the time was just us, you know, watching television shows together. Right. Talking about stuff, you know, for me, Scandal was probably one of the first real live Twitter watch party experiences Mm -hmm. that I can recall where, like, 
you know, black Twitter could essentially change the ratings of a television show. It could save television shows. And right. So, you know, in that space for me, I think that was the introduction. It definitely did not turn into the social movement that we now know it as or that that component of it. Mm-hmm. I would say until Trayvon Martin, I might be missing a couple of incidents. Unfortunately, there are so many, so some might slip your mind. Right. Um, but I'd say And everybody around, didn't, it wasn't as ubiquitous, if you will, uh, as far as Twitter. There weren't as many people on Twitter in 20, what, 12 and 13, even as these terms were being thrown around as there are in 2022, 2023, and definitely 2020. It just seemed like people were at home, they were on their phones, they were paying attention to what was going on. Yeah, very much so. And I think that it really was a place for, you know, Black people to find their people mm-hmm. in a quick and simple fashion. And, you know, mixed in with that is still people butting into the conversations. But uh, it really was, you know, in a lot of ways, Twitter just became the cool kids' lunchroom table. Right. And what I love about, I think, the the Black Twitter, that that space is, you know, you hear all the time, Black people are not a monolith. So everybody's not necessarily thinking the same. Some people are putting out information that's contrary to possibly, you know, what you heard or, you know, there's an education piece that's happening. Um, but there are clearly things that just feel so uniquely culturally black. And I think that's when you talk about things that sort of make you laugh or bring joy or go, you know, I get that is, is where you find that, that, that common spirit. Uh, some other people that were notably a part of this documentary, we heard from Jamel Hill, Mark Lamont uh, Hill, Meredith Clark. She's a professor at Northeastern in Boston. She's actually writing a book right now on black Twitter. Kevin Fredericks, a comedian, uh, April Rain. There were so many people that were a part of this and want to shout out Cheris Satchel and Benita Sastry, who were um, booking and producing this and doing some of the interviews uh, to make all of this happen. Um, but when you talk about some of the things that are serious, Me Too movement, Mute R. Kelly, Black Lives Matter, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, these are all stories that even I remember covering to some degree where there was one narrative early on but because there was a push for information, because there were questions being asked specifically um, and a lot of times by African-Americans, the story took on a different uh, tone. Uh, and I, I almost want to say social media helped inform, too, our reporting. Yeah, I think the other thing um, that I think we have to take into account with a lot of the the social justice aspect of it was also the sense of corporate accountability. Like, mm-hmm. you know, aside from police judge, police shootings and, you know, trial judgments or acquittals, unfortunately, in some cases, um, the degree of holding corporations accountable for how they treat, you know, black people, you know, minorities as a whole. I think there's also been a lot of other minority groups that have been able to draft off of a lot of what Black Twitter was able to wedge and get their foot in the door on, you know, for the better. And so I think when you look at this idea that this is also a place where you can literally embarrass a corporation. Unfortunately, our legal system is shameless for the most part. They do not care. But, you know, there's still a world where 
if a company steps sideways or jumps bad about something or is on the wrong side of an issue, there is an instant place where you can get some straightening. And I think that's a good thing, even if it is from time to time and overcorrection. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's all net positive. Mm-hmm. Um, someone asked me yesterday, is this sort of like the new radio, you know, Black Twitter? And and it's funny because I think it it's about giving voice to people that may not have normally been heard in this way. And it made me look back at um, the first Black-owned and operated newspaper was on this site. I think it was Neiman, NeimanReports.org. And I'm just going to read this really quickly. It's so funny how this uh, aligns with sort of what we're talking about today in 2023. It said, Freedom's Journal, 1827, the first Black-owned and operated newspaper in the U.S., established the same year that slavery was abolished in New York. The weekly published editorials about slavery, biographies of renowned Black figures, and pieces advocating for Black people's political and social rights. It said, quote, We want to plead our own case, wrote the publishers. Too long have others spoken for us. That was in 1827. And still true today. I think I think that this space is. I don't, I don't know. It's it's very interesting, Drika, because I feel like it is a space where. All right, we could compare it to radio. Radio, in a sense, and in my time, and I and I speak, you know, solely from doing. I did mornings for ten years in Birmingham. I did afternoons for three years in Atlanta. And the radio, black radio, you know, hip hop, and then over to R and B when I went to Atlanta. You know, once you get two gray hairs in your mustache, they make you play R&B music now. Don't <laughs> <laughs> no, let's play rap music no more. You got to start playing some Mary J. Blige, young man. <laughs> radio, the issue with the radio as a, as a place for a community forum is mm-hmm. that it is restricted by the time limitations and the preferences of the jocks and the syndication of too many shifts has eliminated a local community element to radio that existed in the 90s. Um, it, I'm not here to bore people with George Bush's laws and what he passed in the early 2000s that created the monopolies that we have today in radio. But what it essentially did was create a way for for corporations to own more stations in the same markets and the corporations to cut costs would syndicate more jocks, not just morning shows like Tom Joyner or Steve Harvey, but like midday, like in a lot of cities, the jock that's in your that's on air does not live in your city. Mm-hmm. So he is not taking calls about XYZ. So radio has fewer time slots and opportunities. Twitter is literally anybody, anywhere, anytime, anytime. log on and you have the microphone, you have the form. There have been total movements started by people with less than 30 followers. That like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna Google her name because we're going to say her name and make sure that people know that it comes back to her. But the young black woman who started saying "on fleek," something as simple as that, mm-hmm. where that was just a casual thing, and then the next thing you know, it's oh, it's a whole thing, and then you know it got into an issue of you know a lot of culture vulturing. And stuff like that. And I who think. said it first? You know, Correct. who coined the term first? I think Tarana Burke is another example of that um, because initially, I think it was Alyssa Milano who put out Me Too, and people thought, you know, oh, she came up with that. But Taylor in fact, Newman was um, oh, okay. on fleek. Peaches Monroe was a username, but keep going. 
Um, yeah, but I, I think there was a moment where people were quick to go, wait a minute, there's somebody else who was using that term before this moment. Um, and it allowed that story to be told. It allowed Tarana's story to be told and for her to, you know, ally, obviously, with other organizations at that point. Um, but it's important to recognize where things started. And it's important for people uh, to get their just due, if you will, for being bold enough and courageous enough uh, to speak their truth, even when it's it's not popular. Oh, well, I had a question for you. Am I allowed to ask the, the national oh, correspondent a question? Oh, no, 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 no. We're not asking any questions. Am I breaking today. journalism rules? <laughs> no, but, no, but seriously, like this documentary... No, you can ask you, me a question, sure. Well, it's about the documentary. That's yes, yes, I know, I know. I'm not going off the rails and asking <laughs> foods you like. What? Oh, because that's going off the rails. <laughs> when did you... How far did you know how far down a rabbit hole you were going when you started this documentary in terms of the impact socially and culturally that black people in the di- in this digital in this particular digital space um, have been able to you know influence well i I think I knew that I think I thought about wow this this idea this community has been around for a while. And wow, look at what has happened in the last five to 10 years. And oh my gosh, that's right. Social media, Black Twitter played a role in helping to bring awareness to pass, you know, uh, legislation to change policy. And I think that that's not lost um, because it seems so simple, but it goes back to the power of the press. It goes back to, you know, the 1827 free journal that I was talking about. So I kind of stepped into this knowing that some of this, some of those interviews honestly had already been done. I came into this project a little bit later. Um, but once I, I got in there, you know, thank you, Cheris and, and Benita for, for allowing me to really get in, ask questions, do some interviews, um, learn, learned a lot. And it was fun to kind of, you know, break away from some of the hard news of the day, which I'm used to doing. Uh, and delve into a, a, a space that's very interesting and, and dear to me. Any more questions? No, but I, <laughs> I, I, I have a declarative statement now, if that is allowed. Yes. Um, <laughs> you, you threw me off with one question in the documentary that I hadn't considered, which was, you know, what happens, you know, as we see the slow degradation and departure, the slow degradation of Twitter, Mm-hmm. The departure of people from Twitter. Who knows what Elon's gonna be charging us for tomorrow? Right. You know, probably start charging us to use vowels, and it's gonna be like Will of Fortune. <laughs> Where do black people go after Black Twitter? Like, right. The evolution of that, and that was a question I never really considered because Twitter is really at this point. We're talking about fifteen years at this point mm-hmm. being a part of our lives, and I don't know the answer to that question because. And that kind of scares me because there's a lot of power and influence within this website as it, when it comes to social change and DE&I initiatives. I know people that have found jobs and have careers because of tweets. Mm-hmm. So I've hired people <laughs> because of tweets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so- And I think that's, that's why this is such a great time to do that, to remind people of the impact that it's had. But uh, there are no doubt questions about where do we go from here. And I don't I don't think we really know. 
um, for now, folks are just going to continue to enjoy it and uh, use it to their advantage, spread information. Um, but I think that's that's something we can't answer. We can't answer yeah. this yet. Yeah, it's it's definitely scary to think about that because it's you know the people are nothing without a voice, mm-hmm. and you know we live in a country now where they are literally passing laws to make protesting illegal. You right. Know? So it's it's just it'll it'll be interesting to see. I want to switch gears a little bit and let's let's talk about some of the funny moments, right? The joyful moments. Things that that make us laugh and almost I would say bring my bring me to tears. I mean, some things I've I've looked at on Twitter, different memes or uh comments that they're it's hilarious. You know, and I think for so many people too, we're just viewing, you know, we're not always commenting, we're just taking a look and sharing it and saying, Did you see this? <laughs> um there was there was this white lady um 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um no, about ten years ago. And um I'm not gonna say her name. We can, if you know, you know. And she tweeted an AIDS joke before a flight to Africa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just I'm headed to Africa. I hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, or something like that. Yeah, going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. So, in the time that I don't know how long it take to get from Africa from America to Africa, but in that time, by the time she landed, that lady didn't have no job, and she probably need to change her phone number because <laughs> folks was going after her, and it just made me laugh because there's so many people. Like I, I think th- there's no way to measure it, Jerika, but like I also feel like. How many black jobs have been created by just random white people coming on Twitter and say, all you had to do was mind your business and scroll. And then you said something (laughs) stupid. Now you ain't got no job by sundown. Now they got three black people to look less racist. So in a way, (laughs) Twitter is creating jobs. So anytime a a non-black person lose their job for saying something anti-black, that's right. that's my lane. Oh, I like that. I I could Well, you. and you know the 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 irony in that and I think it speaks to where we are. No one's taking a breath before they tweet. Cuz I've seen it happen, you know, on both sides too, where I've seen black people make comments and I'm like, "Ooh, I can't I can't heart that." And the next morning <laughs> that person's like, mm, "My bad. I should have done more research." Um, yeah. but but because we've constantly been on the other side of you know, a lot of times more or less being discriminated against. Um, there is some joy to, 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 to think that somebody who was in a comfortable corporate position, they were held accountable for making an ignorant statement, an untrue statement. Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. But then a lot of it is also like, you know, to, to your original question, some of it is just fun roasting that's in jest. That really is no different than the same stuff you would be doing to your classmates between class in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, like, like the, the fact that people roast each other's shoes. Like, I think there was a what are those run for a long, that's, I'm really aging myself now. But like, if you, if your shoes were accidentally in frame, 
oh, we going into the background. We looking at your shoes. We looking at the soap. <laughs> there was a girl who took a bathroom selfie and her soap dish was dirty. And Lord, <laughs> this poor woman just wanted to take a picture. Hey, y'all, look, I'm cute. And they was like, why your soap dish dirty? Or, it was either that or she had like Dawn dish liquid. Right. And, and for people who for people who don't understand that sort of that cultural nuance, you know, I feel like it all comes from having to cry or excuse me, having to laugh instead of cry. You know, like we we come from ancestors of people who had it really, really rough. And you can only you can only imagine some of the things and the humor that must have been formed as a result of the pain. So if you're not used to it, like you said, you know that it's a lot of time it's in love. It's not to to really bring well, somebody down. And it's funny. Well, it's still to make you better. Let's not hang on. We ain't got to. It's, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's love, but it is also. Hey, she I'm never had that dirty soap dish again. I bet you she cleaned that soap dish and I bet you she's a better person for it. And I bet you y'all going to stop posting the meals when you think you can cook. And the real chefs get on here and light your ass up. Like that, I'm sorry for cussing, but you know, you, you will, people will quickly post. People are quick to post something that they're proud of and then get roasted to hell. And I'm not going to say that that's always right. I do think that it's like, all right, some of it is friendly fire. Y'all take it too far. But in the bigger scheme of things, I think it's still a place to just laugh and just be around like-minded people. And I think that's really the origins of the internet as a whole, like people as creatures, we are social and black people as, as a group, we are communal, we are tribal, we have to find our people. And this is a way, it's probably the most efficient way to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm like, you know, I'm again, I'm aging myself. I'm from the era of AOL chat rooms. Can I just say I'm so tired of people in this age bracket because I'm not that much younger than you <laughs> acting like you're so freaking old. You know, but, I'm aging myself. I'm, you know, I'm, well, I'm 85. To, I'm aging myself. But you know you what? I have to stop. say that. I have stop. to say that because if I say <laughs> I was in an AOL chat room, y'all act like I was sending <laughs> telegrams on the Route 66. <laughs> In the Civil War, you act like AOL <laughs> was the Civil War. My dearest love, I am here to send you an attachment. Like, but like they had chat rooms that were specifically for Black people. But the chat right. rooms, but the way the chat rooms were set up, they could only hold thirty people at a time. Mm-hmm. So it was like a Black mixer where you could just go from room to room mm-hmm. and interact. But there was no way to have a group uh, communal conversation. Uh, do you remember Meet Me in, the Meet Me in Temecula moment where them two dudes was going to fight on Christmas Day? No. I must have missed that. Oh, oh. Two dudes Why you put me on the spot? No, no, no. <laughs> no, because that was one of the greatest, like, flagpole. Like, that had schoolyard fight energy. The two dudes who did not live in the same city got to arguing about Kobe Bryant on Christmas Day. And mm. one dude said, meet me in Temecula, California, and I will fight you right now. And the other dude got in the car and starts live tweeting himself as he's making the drive down. Oh, my gosh. And this is when it goes too far. Yeah. Take a breath. Step away from the device. Yeah. They never they never actually fought. But it was definitely like, hey, man, 
you didn't have to actually waste gasoline. But, you know, that's also, you know, the same... The same people who got joy from that are also the same people who could get behind Oscar So White and give that the wind it needs to still mm-hmm. flop today. Where you can say Oscar So White right now, eight years after the fact, and you know exactly what's going on. And we know exactly what type of shows got greenlit and films that got greenlit on the other side of that. We can have a separate conversation about, mm-hmm. about corporate insincerity when it comes to diversity. But nonetheless... It uh, helped to get the board changed. And I think that, you know, a lot of these voting bodies wouldn't have the diversity within their voting bodies now. If not for, you know, April, April Rain started Oscar So White. Correct. And we talk about that. She, Like I said, she's in the documentary. But it's on us to keep that afloat. It was, it was on the people, the black people at large to get behind that message and amplified and keep amplifying. And then you get the Mark Lamont Hills and the Angela Rise and the Simone Sanders all talking about it on their respective shows at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that also, you know, mm-hmm. helps is the intersection of mainstream black people within mainstream media also being on Twitter as well. Right. Well, listen, I know you're busy. Uh, we, I'm getting a note, hold on, reminding me to plug the documentary. Streaming for free on the app, CBS News app. It is free. Thank you so much for joining me, Roy Wood Jr. You have a lot of interesting things coming up, sir. Some jokes that I'm sure you're working on for that White House Correspondents Dinner. And I oh, see you're going to be in conversation with your buddy Trevor Noah coming up March 7th. Yeah, I got some questions for him about how the hell to do this job if they give it to me. Okay, um, now, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Daily Show host. I, I could see that. Roy Wood Jr., y'all better support. See, you're deflecting right now. You're being <laughs> slick. I'm here to give you flowers <laughs> and to tell you thank you for covering a lot of these stories, you know, and you are you are a national correspondent, so you have to go and cover the stuff that breaks and the stuff that matters to America as a whole, but you still make time within your schedule to focus and really dial in on a topic like this, which matters to a very specific group of Americans. And to that, we tell you thank you, because we know that is not easy. It is very, very hard, and you still make the time to make this documentary. So well, I we will it. be streaming. Yes, and like I said, I would look forward to, to seeing you at the White House Correspondents' Dinner this year. Be well. Thank you, Roy Wood Jr., joining us. Watch the documentary, CBS News, streaming. Thank you all for joining us. All right, y'all. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. And how long have you been the, the producer of this? We've been doing this for two years now. Okay. And and what is it like to attempt to uh, get feedback from me about the podcast? Be honest about how quickly I respond to emails. You actually respond to emails surprisingly fast. Really? I, I think you might be the only person I respond to. <laughs> I respond to quickly. 
Oh well, that's good. Yeah. I expected I expected you to lay into me. Well, this was over the strike period. Oh, I had time. Yeah. See, that that does that doesn't count. <laughs> sure, I responded to everything because responding to you putting reruns up on the podcast was like a form of employment. Yeah. And I felt like I had something to get up for every yeah. day. So thank you for that. Listen to the Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.